Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today, I'm speaking with Safya Vijayendran, who is a good friend of mine. Um, he's a director, a producer, a writer. He has created an award-winning web series that I'm actually featured in called Doggy Style. If you want to check that out, uh, don't just Google Doggy Style. Google Doggy Style, the web series, and we'll talk about that. Um, additionally, we talk about his coming from Sri Lanka, stopping in Canada, and finally coming to the U.S., and really being an art student before becoming a director-producer. It's a very interesting and lovely story, and another indication of how people's journeys and their creative journeys are never a straight line. But you can make a straight line for the great taste of Abe's Muffins. That was just so deftly done, wasn't it? Abe's Muffins are allergen-free. They taste great. You can get them where you get that kind of stuff. A lot of places now. And make sure you try their brownies. Try their cornbread. They're all amazing. Do you like this uh, podcast? Subscribe. You can rate it, too. And if you have questions for me or comments, go to www.isthatreallylegal.com. And um, I will respond to you and get back to you. Um, we have so many great shows. This time with Safia Vijandra is fantastic. Sit back, relax, and enjoy it. Afya Vijayandran, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I'm really happy to have you on today. Thanks for having me. Um, as I'll probably say in the intro, you and I have been friends for quite some time. And we started out uh, actually on opposing sides of a business deal for a client that I was representing uh, to That's act right. in, right, they were acting in a project of yours. Um, and then thank God we became friends. You thought I was funny and you've put me in some of your projects, which has been just fantastic for me. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. I'm going to, uh, okay. Well, I, 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 I mean, I, all right, you first, this is your <laughs> podcast. You talk first. Oh no, trust me. People are tired of hearing me talk <laughs> on this podcast. I'm sure. Um, no, what I wanted to do was you, one of the things I've been exploring in this podcast is how there's absolutely no straight line in life and no straight line when it comes to the creative process or creative journeys. And every time I talk to someone, I really say, and you're a great example of that. And in fact, you also are a great example of that. And so I, I'd love to know, I know some things, some things I'll probably learn today. Your journey started not at all in the United States, right? No, my my parents come from Sri Lanka. That's where they met. And um, in Sri Lanka, you have you at the time uh, we're talking, you know, 60s, 70s, you didn't have many ways to get out of the country. Um, and um, my father really wanted to explore the world. And uh, he was very good at math, science and um Becoming a doctor was the biggest way and he didn't have the money for that, but he could afford to go to school for engineering. 
So he was able to get out, get to a school, um, go to a school in uh, London uh, called London Polytechnic uh, for engineering. And he studied to be a civil engineer. And um, he married my mom, basically in the middle of school, he married my mom. And um, I was born there. So you were born in London. I was. What I love is that you have a very neutral, you know, American accent, but I can't, I, I know that you spent a lot of time in New York too, but you wouldn't know it from your voice. I mean, I don't have what people consider to have to be a Long Island accent. I, I, I only know a Long Island accent when someone points it out to me. Right. But um, like if uh, my wife and I, we go down South and people start talking and I hear that, I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's an accent. So I don't recognize, I don't, I, I, I agree with you. I think I'm very neutral. Um, I, and, and by I the way, you have a great voice for voiceover. Did you ever do any of that stuff? No, no, I've never done that. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe, maybe there's, that's part of your journey down the road. Anyway, I'm going to back up. So you're in London, you grow up. How, how old are you when you leave London? Uh, four years old. Ah, okay. Uh, so you're not developing that little Harry Potter accent at that point. No, no, no scarves, <laughs> no, no wands. And where did your folks move you to? Uh, we moved to Canada. My my father got a job in uh, at a firm, engineering firm in Canada. What uh, Toronto, what area? Uh, well, we moved to Calgary. Wow. But yeah, then they Toronto, bought, they, they bought a house. Yeah, mm-hmm. they bought a house and. Um, you know, they, they, you know, I just remember, I just remember, I remember it vividly because I just remember all the snow. It was my first exposure to snow. Well, for people who don't know, uh, Sri Lanka is a very warm climate. London is, you know, kind of like New York, only maybe a little more dreary, at least in the literature. Calgary is like the Colorado of Canada. So it's like literally cowboys and snow and mountains and all that stuff. See, I mean, I think a family of Sri Lankans uh, hanging out in Calgary was probably unusual at that time. Yeah, I I mean, I remember, uh, let me just back up and say, you know, Calgary, for anyone who's Canadian, Calgary is in Alberta. So I I just want to get my provinces right. But um, in, in Alberta, I just remember seeing, you know, going to fairs where there would be like, you know, Native American Indian, Native Indians, you know, like they'd be on horses. And I, 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 I think when I came to the States and, you know, we'd be reading about them, you know, in books in elementary school, I, I always thought about uh, seeing them. That was one of the first things I saw in Canada as a kid, uh, very vividly, uh, that and Mounties. And, you know, coming from Sri Lanka, there's Indians. Right. And then in Calgary, there's Indians. Yeah, well, in in, uh, in in you know there were and we were surrounded by um, a community of Sri Lankan people as well. It's the most the biggest community of Sri Lankans I ever met was in Canada. I had no idea. Yeah, we would go to these sort of picnics as a you know there, as a kid we would go to go to these picnics and th- there would be like the three legged race and you know there, it's it was like field day with Sri Lankans. And uh, I see a short movie. <laughs> it was it was it was really it was really cool because 
um, you know, growing up, I was around a lot of Sri Lankan people. Oh, so it wasn't like you were a complete fish out of water. You were a whole bunch of fish out of water. I didn't, I didn't think about it too much because I was a kid, you know, I just wanted to have fun. That absolutely makes sense. And I, I feel the same way, you know, if anybody asks about anybody growing up, you don't know any different really, do you? So it's all normal. I just remember I always got little trophies for running. So I think I had a lot of energy. Uh, I never got a trophy for running and uh, so, never going to happen. <laughs> so when they said run, I ran. <laughs> wow. That, uh, that sounds like my people, but that's a completely different story. Um, so you did eventually come to America, though. When did that happen? Uh, let's see. Uh, probably, let me think. I was in the second grade. I can't remember how old I was. I feel like I was like eight years old, maybe seven or eight. And was that Long Island? Yeah. Uh, My father got a job in um, Glen Cove on Long Island. And uh, he moved first. I remember this. I remember he left. And then my mom and I, and, and at the, and we had a, I had a little brother, uh, we packed up the house and, um, went on the, on an airplane for the first time and came to the States. And, uh, he was living in a, in a small house, uh, in Glen Cove. And I was very excited because he had bought a TV. It was a new TV. So I, I remember that TV. It was a Sony, it was gray. And, uh, I, I remember that TV first. Yeah, well, when you're a kid, your priorities are very different. They are. Was it a big box, like a flat screen, but like a big box behind it, or no? It was. It was small. It was a small TV, but I, I you know, it was something different. Well, maybe that fascination was part of what drove you to what you do now. Maybe, maybe. Um, you. I assume you ended up going all the way through high school in Glen Cove. No, actually, um, we were there for, let's see, second and third, I was there second and third grade. It's funny how I remember things in grades, Sure. because I went to uh, a lot of different schools. So, uh, so second and third grade, and then we moved to Hicksville. Got it. And for people who don't know, that is actually where Billy Joel is from. Yeah. I remember when I was, uh, so after Hicksville, I was in Hicksville um, until, let's see, that was, uh, I left in the middle of third grade and went to Hicksville. So it was like three, third grade, fourth grade, and part of fifth grade. And then we moved again. Wow. You're, you have definitely been a guy who moves around a lot already. I mean, three countries. Several places on Long Island. Where did you end up after? I think Long Island's a country by itself. Oh, that's wow. If we could open that door, but I don't know if we'll be able to close it again. I have a lot of ambivalence about Long Island. I mean, I I have a certain pride of coming from Massapequa, but there are parts of Long Island right now that are so right-wing lunatic that uh, I'm just terrified. So... Uh, it's beautiful. And especially if you go way out on the island, the little ad for places like Montauk and Greenport, Greenpoint, Greenport, Greenpoint's Brooklyn, Greenport, Orient Point, all of that out on the forks of Long Island. They have wineries. 
Um, it's just pretty out there, but uh, there are a lot of lunatics. Uh, look, and if you have a problem with that, feel free to write me at www.isthatreallylegal.com. There's a place where you can tell me how wrong I am about the fascists taking over Nassau and Suffolk County. Oh, okay, but we're going to stay here with Safia. So um, what happens during Hicksville time? Or is there, do you graduate um, there? Or is there another place that you go no. I, I we we were there until the middle the the beginning the beginning of fifth grade, and then moved to Brentwood, Brentwood, which which is where um, we we stayed until I was basically out of high school. Got it. Where did college happen? College was Syracuse University. Ah, so you needed more snow, and you went up where it's super cold. You know, you know, I, it's really funny because I got into um, a few different schools for uh, film. Uh, I loved in high school, I loved video, I loved computer graphics, and I was uh, lucky enough to um, go to a school which had those programs. So I took, I took all those classes, you know, multiple times, you know, I found ways to take the same class twice, things like that. Uh, so by the time I was a senior, I had a good portfolio of work and I was really into, I really wanted to make movies. Well, what's interesting and, to me is I, I'm interrupting you and sorry, but Syracuse has a tremendous acting and writing program. Uh, Aaron Sorkin studied to be an actor in Syracuse yeah. and I think decided to write instead. But my understanding is they have great actors there. Was that, was that helpful to you while you were producing? Um, it wasn't, it wasn't the reason I went there. Um, I went there because I, I, you know, I knew they had a small program. I got into NYU, but I wasn't interested in going to a big school. And for people um, who don't know NYU, there's not a building. It's basically all of Greenwich Village is comprised of New York University. I mean, there is a like, you know, the law school, a couple of main libraries, they're all on like Bleecker Street and, you know, just south of Washington Square. But then as you meander through Greenwich Village, there's literally just building after building that's an NYU building. And I think tens of thousands upon thousands of people go to NYU, right? Yeah. It's massive. It's massive. It's massive. Syracuse is not a small place. But... No, so Syracuse isn't small, but I, I was attracted to a few things. I was attracted to, they had a sculpture program. Um, you know, basically I, I went to school and I studied art. I, I basically went to art school. Um, I, I, I saw the classes that I was going to take before um, I decided. And I was like, oh, you know, I could do sculpture. I can, I can, I can paint. I can do these things. Um, and NYU was more really focused on the film. Who is your, I'm going to ask the stupid question. Who's your favorite sculptor? As if you could have sculptor? one. Yeah. Um, geez. I mean, I really like Rodin. <laughs> yeah, I could see why. Um, but How I, about I, somebody I, more modern? Is there anybody more modern that attracts you? Whether it's Giacometti, Moreau, Giacometti. I like Giacometti. I like Giacometti. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, 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 I actually like with the work I'm doing now. I'm editing a lot of um, 
art-based videos. And so I'm learning, I'm, I'm kind of getting a, a crash course in art history. I took art history in school, but it all, it all kind of comes back to me. And, you know, when I went to college, I was like really into Tim Burton. I just found Tim Burton to be kind of amazing. And I didn't know, I didn't know where he was, what he was inspired by. So like it to me, it was just like Tim Burton, like he's the guy, you know, he, he was like a filmmaker, he can draw, he can paint, you know, he does these very visual films. He surrounds and himself with brilliant people too. He does. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's like the, the offbeat kind of filmmaker guy. So, um, when going in, going into school, I was like, oh, I want to, I want to be like Tim Burton. With them, you know, Tim Burton, for those who don't know, which I'd be shocked, has such even though he has a particular style, he has such a wide breadth of films. You know, he did the first couple of Batman movies, which he, he did the yeah he did the first two, right? Which includes you know that's Michael Keaton. I, I mean, it also has what is in some ways one of the coolest things. Danny DeVito as the Penguin is kind of amazing. But let me put that off for a, side, a moment. He did the first Pee Wee movie, Pee Wee's Great Adventure. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he did um, Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, these are all incredibly different films, uh, but they have his style. You know, when you listen to records, that, so my, I'm much more into music than anything else. And when I put on a record, Sometimes I can tell who the producer is just by the sound or the emphasis on certain things. Um, and I think when you look at a Tim Burton movie, you can get a feeling it's a Tim Burton movie by the sort of hyper-realism that I usually associate with like Stanley Kubrick's work. I would be interested in knowing how, well, maybe you know, who influenced Burton? Did you ever look into that at all? Um. And if not, we need to do that and come back and talk about it. <laughs> I never really thought about it. I mean, you know, it's funny because when I when I'm working on these videos, I see I see his and uh, you know I I'm more interested in in um, learning about how our art our art that I kind of take for granted came about. You know, I, I'm, I'm I was um, I was working on a video by about this guy Ferdinand. Fernand Leger, right? Mm -hmm. And um, he was like this kind of abstract artist who who painted in 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 a, in, a, in sort of like this, um, you know, like Lichtenstein. He did these like comic book panels, you know. Yeah, absolutely. He like that, and, and this is like way before we had comics. So you would just like paint like that. And I was just like, whoa, this guy's really cool. So. Um, I think my my interest in in what Tim Burton was has done has kind of morphed into kind of appreciating the people that did things without computers because everything I do is on a computer so I have a new appreciation for guys who uh, guys and gals who who basically didn't have that tool and were just like I have this idea and I can either paint it I can draw it I can sculpt it I can, I can do it only in the physical realm, you know? Sure. I mean, if I look at the, what you do, and we're going to talk more about that, um, you know, if you had been born a couple of decades earlier, you would have had to film everything, which is so expensive and time consuming. 
And you don't know whether you really got what you want until you develop it. I mean, because there was sort of a video playback created by, amazingly enough, uh, uh, Jerry Lewis. Um, he actually holds the patent and might have won uh, an Academy Award for creating a video playback system. The Great Balls what, of Fire guy? Uh, no, not Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lewis, oh, oh. the, the <laughs> old school Jewish comic of Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis. Really? Really. Yeah. And some of his early film, well, I don't want to get lost in that cul-de-sac, but um, if you were doing that back then, you would have had to have a bigger crew of very skilled people. Not that you don't have skilled people around you now, but again, you'd have to shoot a bunch. And then when you're in the editing room, literally play with film and razor blades and tape. It's just a completely well, well, different the, Well, the thing is at Syracuse, I did that. Ah, that's- At Syracuse- well, they, they didn't have video. Did that help you? Now well, that well, you see, sit in an editing bay where it's all digital, I mean, in a, having a grounding in how it used to be, there's still, like, there's still jump cuts. There's still fades. There's still narrative that has to be expressed through the moving image. That's not different. It's just how do you do it, right? Well, let me just give some background. Yeah, I'll let you so, so, so when I, when I was in high school, I really got into video. So I had a video camera, I would shoot my stuff. I would edit on, you know, like it was kind of like a reel to reel system. Like you put the videotape in VCRA, and then you have like a sort of like a controller where you can move the tape frame by frame. And you, it was, it was what's called linear editing. So you assemble everything in the order in which you see it. And then when you want to put like audio, like voiceover or music or something, you basically um, take the tape you're recording onto and then you record audio. on. So there were different tracks and things like that. So when I went to film school, they didn't have any of this stuff. They, there was a television school, which was Newhouse. I wasn't part of Newhouse, like Bob Costas, like he he's one of the graduates of Newhouse. You guys did not go at the same time. But I we, we did not. Safia is much, Safia's younger than me. I'm much 60. Younger. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> much younger than Bob Costas. That's what I was saying. <laughs> Thanks so much. Did I mention we're friends? <laughs> anyway, sorry. The Newhouse School, which was television. Yeah. So I went to um, the School of Visual and Performing Arts. And the visual, School of Visual Performing Arts was not as prestigious as Newhouse. So I had different classes. My, like I had roommates who went to Newhouse and they were studying completely different stuff. And they had like, they had all the latest video equipment and computers and all this stuff. And at the School of Visual and Performing Arts, we had the old school 16 millimeter editing systems and we had old school film cameras and everything. And shooting on film is the scariest thing you'll ever do because basically you're, you're, you're buying film on a, on a little reel. You're loading it into the camera in the dark or in, inside this kind of black bag and you can't see what you're doing. And then you film and you don't, you're not completely sure if things are in focus. Um, when you edit, if you wanted like a, a, a dissolve, which is very standard, you have to actually mark it on the film and, and hope the lab 
which is developing the film does it. So there's a lot of things that are not even in your control. And that's, and that experience is why I went into post-production, which is what I'm in now, because I was so, I couldn't believe that people were being creative, but it was almost like you, you could only be creative by 75%. The, the last 25% was up to someone else somewhere, somewhere in Boston or something. Yeah, I will say that film, besides arguably being the most expensive art form, it took over, I think opera used to be before film showed up, is also probably the most collaborative. I mean, you're just showing one tiny part of it, but um, you and I have probably worked on film. I don't know about you, but I've certainly worked on quite a few film sets as an actor. And when you show up on a major film, there are literally, really, literally trucks full of people and equipment and nothing happens uh, without all those people being involved. So this notion that people are artists and do it themselves, did you ever have that notion? And did you, have you made peace with the fact that you're, cause you strike me in our, my experience of you is you're very collaborative. You have a vision about what you want, but even in that process, I've known you and we're kind of jumping around now, having worked on some of your projects, you are the screenwriter, but you have some people you talk to, um, whether it's your wife who also, by the way, studied film, I found out much later, mm-hmm. but also we have a mutual friend who's a best-selling author that you've worked with uh, on scripts. You're not afraid to collaborate. Has it always been that way Did, or was that something you came to? Um, I've always shared my stuff for feedback, but I didn't always listen to that feedback. Um, because, you know, I always assumed that I knew what I wanted and I was, it was, I was going to do it my way. Um, I've. How unusual. Well, I think, I think (laughs) once we all go through that, I think, I think the thing is, I think it's, I think it's, you know, big, you know, when you go into something, you are going into it as an artist. And once you're in there as an artist, you start to look at something a little more scientifically, you start to see all the, you know, all the mechanics of how something works. And you, once you learn the history of things, you start to understand, okay, this is, this is like this because of this, and this person, you know, influenced that. And then you start to, um, like, like when I look at writing, okay, I used to never really think there was a, a format or a technique, you know, or a structure to screen, screenwriting until I started working with, uh, you know, Meta Van Prague, Who's a, who's a writer, and mm-hmm. she was my um, writing mentor for um, a couple things. And By the way, she's been a guest on the show. If you go to the website, you can find that interview. Sorry, just. And uh, I, you know, she she really taught me about um, really focusing on character. And after she made me kind of look at um, how I build characters. I, I started to notice um, character building and everything I was watching. Uh, you know, if I'm just watching um, a TV show, I like the TV show because of how they do the character work. Whereas before I, I, I realized that, I didn't know why I liked something. I just never did. Isn't it always also the, why do I hate the show? Oh, it's because two people are sitting in a room talking about their past, mm-hmm. giving you really terrible exposition 
to possibly build their characters. So they're sitting in a room talking about when we went to college together, do you remember? and like, rather than showing it, you're shaking your head. You know yeah. it happens, and it's terrible. Well, well, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I go to a lot of festivals, and I, I, um, I, I watch a lot of people's work. Uh, I shoot and edit projects for other people, and um, a lot of times I'm <clears throat> kind of holding my tongue because I feel like there's there there are ways in which things can be better. But I also want to give people the space to discover that for themselves. I could I could make a suggestion and be like, I don't know if this works or whatever. But I also know that, you know, if you're serious about doing something, you get you create opportunities for yourself to kind of learn, you know. So sure. um, I, I I also want I also appreciate the you know the collaboration. I'm actually um, working with a, a few people that I've met on on a, on um, a couple of projects, and we, you know we've decided to kind of start working together more. And I said to them, I was like, look, the one thing I, I'd like to kind of highlight is that a lot of times people don't know how to write characters and write stories, and so if we can focus on the writing before we even think about the shooting and the acting and all these other things, locations, I think we could, I think we could work together. There's no way to fix. Like if there's a bad script you, there, you can't make a great movie from a bad script. Am I wrong? That's my, no, that's you're right. my assertion. And, and that's, that's the biggest failing in, in a lot of things I, I see on, on my level is that um, when things are written really well, there you're, you're absorbed, you know, you're absorbed and you, you, you notice, you know, what, what you like, but when something's written really badly, it could look great. Like, I, I don't think it, I don't think it takes much to shoot something really well nowadays. I mean, you can, you're shooting with, um, you can shoot with your phone. Yeah, that's true. You no. Know? And, and the, the phone has all this, all these features to make it look stable and all this stuff. So, okay. So you take the phone out of the, you know, the phone, the camera is, is done. Um, the, the audio is taken care of. I mean, we have microphones all over the place. We're using them all the time. Mm -hmm. So now what it comes down to is the story. And a lot of times people just kind of write, they, they don't, they don't think about structure and they, they just kind of write what it sounds like in their own head. Right, and they forget that we these characters have to come from somewhere. Yeah, they're fully formed human beings or beings. I don't want to, you know, fully formed entities that show up. There has to be something that happens that makes people want to watch it. It's not just a day in the life of somebody cooking something, eating, watching TV. Part of drama is there's got to be some kind of conflict, right? Exactly. People, I mean, actors know this. You know, you talk about paying an intention, what do you want? What's the obstacle to the desire of the character? Mm -hmm. These are basic ideas, but they're basic for a reason. It's, and there's a, you know, the reason that classic stories are classic is because people throughout time have had similar dramas. You know, they've wanted power, they've wanted relationships, they've gone to war, whatever the things are. Um, and one of the things that film does really well is it transports people. It's amazing how quickly you can be in a movie theater. And if something's good, you are in it. You know, you, it doesn't take a lot of time. 
you know, you can go to a museum and walk around and if something doesn't grab you, you, know, you spend a day walking around the museum, that's fine. But it's a very different experience in my experience to sit in a film. And by the way, it doesn't have to be highfalutin. It can be an amazing rip roaring adventure. You know, mm -hmm. I'm a big Star Wars fan. I don't know that everybody feels Star Wars is an important film, but uh, you know, or Raiders of the Lost Ark. These are, they were designed to be big adventures with possibly having a message, but those movies grab you. They, mm -hmm. Some may disagree. I think they'd be wrong. Um, <laughs> and then there's the quote unquote important films that sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I just, I get it. Stop preaching at me. I, I want a story that I can get into. And and I think the really great thing happens when I get sucked into the story and then, holy shit, I got a message in there I wasn't expecting. Or, you you know, uh, yeah. is there anything you've seen recently that you're like, wow, that is, this is the kind of thing that excites me? Uh, probably yeah. Don't Look Up. I saw Don't Look Up. Um, my wife and I, we went to visit uh, her parents in Florida. And... Uh, we had gone down there kind of with a mental list of things we wanted to watch with them, you know, things that we sure. were holding off from watching uh, because we just wanted to hang out with them and, and they're, they're re they really love TV. And so we watched Don't Look Up. Uh, we watched a couple of things and that was one of them. And uh, I, I was really, I was surprised because I'm um, I'm a fan of Adam McKay. He's the director and the writer, and he's done a bunch of stuff. He started out on SNL. He he can he sort of made Will Ferrell big, like he did Anchorman, and you know. But didn't he know, do that Great Wall Street? Uh, the Big movie? Short. I loved that movie. I thought that movie did exactly what I always like. It's a comedy that sucked me in, and it also explained a complicated situation so that we all understood how we got ripped off. <laughs> exactly. He's a very smart guy. And, and, you know, coming, what I love is that he came from comedy. He, he, he made, he also made Talladega Nights, uh, which I, <laughs> I love. I, I thought, love that movie. And I really, I have a, a especially, um, there's a part of my heart uh, I have for the other guys, which is uh, Mark Wahlberg. And I loved I, the other guys. I, I love that movie. And, and it's the type of movie where when it came out, uh, on a video i tried to get people to watch it and they just looked at me like you're insane this is stupid it's actually a shockingly good movie it's a great movie but um i appreciate that um the the movie is playing with you know the cop the cop dynamic like you know cops all the and there's all the tropes i mean right the buddy cops you know uh, up against the system i mean there's look I, if anybody watches standard cop movies or cop TV shows, you'll recognize the relationships. By the way, for some reason, what popped into my head is a movie I only saw once, but I loved. And who would have thought Billy Crystal would be a great action hero and cop? Oh, it was with him and Gregory Hines. Do you remember this movie? Billy was it running running scared? Running scared. Exactly. <laughs> do you remember that movie? I, I do. loved that movie. I haven't seen it. I wonder if it would stand up. I do remember running scared. They were both. That, that mean, was young. back when Barishnikov was like in movies. <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> you're just white like, who is this guy? 
Right. That, that was all. That Hines. was what hit. That was him and Gregory Hines, right? Correct. Also, in my opinion, a lot of fun. All right. I know we're getting sidetracked. At, at some point, by the way, you leave school, and you know we're trying to sum my good friend Satya's life up in less than an hour, uh, which is impossible. So we understand that. But you you worked doing video and audio for major corporations. I'm not going to list the people because I don't know that we want well, to. Let, but... let me let, let me let me take you back to school just just sure. a tiny bit. Sure. This this will help. When I, when I was um when I was a senior in in college. I, and this, I, I was coming from high school where I did video, right? So mm-hmm. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in Syracuse university. I'm doing everything on film and I'm like, really like, this is, this sucks because I can't <laughs> tell the stories I want to tell. I don't have a computer. So I, at the time I worked in a bookstore and in the bookstore, there was a book uh, about doing 3d animation and I bought the book and I got the program and I taught myself the program and I did the, the I, I created visual effects for my own senior thesis. By the way, what computer were you using just to make? I, I was using a, crazy? I was using a PC that I had built. Do you know what kind of chip? Was it like a 286? Was it a Pentium? I think it was a three. Honestly, I was thinking it was a 386. It was just like back The then, fact was, that I even know this is shocking to me. But. You know, I, I, um, I learned the program and I, and, and inside this book, there were uh, little kind of tutorials on how to, uh, how to do a star field, how to do a sun, how to do um, uh, an ocean, you know, wow. in, in 3D. And I did all that stuff and I constructed, I made a sci-fi movie around what I liked in the book. So, and I printed it and I had a company in New York print the video back onto film. And then I edited my film together with that stuff. Wow. So I was the first person at, at, at Syracuse to, to make a film with computer graphics in it. And this wow. is in 1999. So when I graduated, I got an internship with that film. Basically, I showed the tape around and people weren't used to seeing someone who went to film school with that type of stuff. Right. So I was able to, I got an internship at a company that was owned by um, the actor Jude Law, and he had a company which made commercials for like Avis and wow. um, Court TV, and I had no did lot, idea. Did a lot of content, so I learned everything related to you know from editing to shooting, everything in the in the digital space. I learned. Are, are you still good friends with Jude Law? <laughs> <laughs> he he, do, he won't email me back. <laughs> oh, well, you know how that can be. Did you actually literally meet him or not? No, I didn't. I mean, like right. he he started the company as a right. he started the company in London, and then he wanted to have an office in New York, and I worked All at right. that office. That's awesome. Uh, then, how long were you there doing that? I stuff? was there about for about a, a year and a half, and then I kind of went from company to company until I started my own company, and um, just I basically do video content for a, a few of the big companies. So I, I work strictly freelance. You know, most people don't. It's so in, it's so a part of our culture, it's almost invisible. But people may not realize how much video content needs to be created for commercial purposes. I don't mean just commercials, although I'm sure that's part of it. But every time we get on a computer, 
somebody is flashing a commercial, uh, some kind of video at us. But also, just as an attorney, I know whenever I uh, take any kind of coursework for continuing legal education or something is explained or just just like video and video production is just part of the culture. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, you must be busy as as heck. I'm, you know, I I, um, I don't like to say no to, to, to work. Oh, it's like an actor. <laughs> right, it's hard I, to say I'll, no. I'll, 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 you know, it, it really does depend. If, if I have, uh, I, I mean, clearly I follow the money, like I'm, you know, but um, I... I like to, to do work, which keeps me, which keeps me kind of flexible. So, you know, um, the art, the art pieces I'm doing are for bank of America. Um, I edit a lot of stuff for, um, some pharmaceutical companies, um, for some government agencies in New Jersey. So I'm, I'm pretty busy. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, it's, it's all, it's all like one really cool balancing act. How much do you have to keep track of, technological advances because they must be coming fast and furious no pun yeah i mean i i like i like the way technology is going like i'm not gonna lie like i have um uh, you know i i shoot on i shoot my projects on six, 6k video like i shoot very high quality video and uh, i like being ahead of things but um i also i also think that there's no reason to go so fast with technology. Like my, my computer is from uh, probably four years ago and it does exactly what I need it to do until it starts getting very slow. Right. I'm not, I don't have any need to replace it. By the way, I want to, I want to publicly thank you. This podcast uh, wouldn't have happened. Uh, I mean, my, my wife gave me the idea and, basically <laughs> made me do it. She's not far from me, but she was obviously a big part of she's, it. But also she's listening to yeah, well, she well, I don't know if she's paying attention to me. She's doing something else. But um you I was like, I don't know how to do this technically. How what kind of mic should I get? What can I use GarageBand? But and we had a couple of really good productive conversations. It turned out I didn't really need anybody to produce it. I made it like a one-man band, but I wouldn't have gotten there without you. So I just wanted to thank you publicly oh, on the welcome. record. Um, you were very helpful. And um, look, I, I, almost everybody has a podcast right now. And so, you know, it, maybe it's not that hard. But for me, even with my experience of having a home recording studio, it took a little getting used to how to do it all. Um, but backing up to you, um, we are running out of time. It is shocking how quickly this is going by. I wanted to talk about the fact that when we first met, uh, you and I had attended some seminars with Ariel and Shia Kane, mm-hmm. and I don't know how it happened, but early in our relationship, you came up to me and said, you're funny. I would like <laughs> you to be in something. And, yes. and by the way, am I, I could be wrong. I, I'm not usually this self-aggrandizing. I laughed and thought, well, that guy is really sweet and is very nice, but nobody ever just does that. Um, and then I found out you were working on a web series called Doggy Style. I will urge my readers not to Google Doggy Style, but you could Google Doggy Style, the web series. Um, in any event, you wrote this 
show about uh, a guy who's sort of a dog expert who ends up talking with dogs. It's not the best way of describing it, but there is a lot of our friends are in it. It, it was, we've got three episodes out. What was the impetus for that? And, and what is it with all the time you spend on your commercial work? How do you find time to do your personal projects? Um, I, it's, it, it can be challenging to find time, but I, I just tried to work on other people's stuff and they give me the energy to do my stuff. So um, I'm working on a, on a series with a, uh, a friend, of, uh, someone I met on a film set and we just got along really well. And uh, he said, hey, I have this idea about this, you know, and, and he was asking me to help him, but he wasn't asking me to help him. He was just like, hey, what do you think about this idea? And ultimately, I was like, I like him so much that I want to do the project. But also, it gives me a, little, a lot of juice to, to go and write my own thing, you know. What's cool is to create a community. Like, you know, we met in a community, which right. is all about you know, sort of like listening to people and kind of being aware of yourself and being vulnerable and, and, you know, being honest. And that opened the door to being creative for me. And also kind of like, you know, taking care of my relationships, you know, being, you know, taking care of my parents. And it's funny because people never think that doing those things will affect your art or your work, but they do. Because when you, once you kind of quiet down the, what I consider the background sounds, you can really (laughs) focus on everything else. So I feel like once I kind of solved, you know, it's like every, you know, I, I, took care of like my financial stuff, took care of my, you know, I, I tried to keep tabs on my parents and take care of them and be there for them. All of that stuff is a drain on your energy. How All can you do your stuff. art when you're busy worrying about stuff? Exactly. So, you know, going to the seminars with Ariel and Shia really kind of helped me, you know, get, you know, tune, you know, tune those things and just kind of take care of them. And um, so we now- We found really, our wives there, by the way, which is great. We did, we did. Not at the same time, but uh, it was good nonetheless. I do, I do want to point out that you point that you make a great point, which is that people think uh, you have to somehow hoard energy for the things you want. They don't understand that. Well, of course, you know, if you're working yourself around the clock, you have to get yourself a break. But the truth is also, if you start to get jazzed about other things in your life, you bring that excitement and joy wherever you go into whatever you yeah. are looking for. Like I, mean, I, I assume I, that's what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, not, not only am I really into film stuff, I'm building an electric car, which is, which is something that I've always been interested in. I've been interested in cars, but not on a, not like, like looking at them at car shows. And so. Uh, I just want to point ago, out to people. Oh, well, you're about to yeah. tell them that it's not like you bought a kit no. and are building a car. You took an old, is it a Chevy, a 40s or 50s? Yeah, I bought a, I bought a 47 Chevy on eBay. Now, by the way, you could be a special kind of person to do that. I'm not kidding. You knew, you knew the thing wasn't running, right? I it, mean, no, it had no engine, it had nothing. It could roll. It was, and it was stuck in mud. So the whole bottom of it is still has like dried mud on it. 
And basically what you wanted was a chassis and a body and you were going to do everything else, right? Yeah, I saw, you know, I, I, I was fixated on the 65 Mustang for a while. And uh, I saw a lot of those in people's wow. backyards. You know, they were like, here, you know, you can take it, you know. And, wow, uh, really? And, That's a beautiful uh, car. It's a beautiful car. But, you know, anyone who works on that car usually has it in pieces and um, is <laughs> yeah, like, it wasn't get, really has, a well-made has given up on it. <laughs> so I was like, I want something different. So I um, I just started Googling around and I, I and I, I would go on eBay and I would see what I could actually buy. And I found the uh, 47 uh, Chevy for about 700 bucks. Um, I think I spent close to $500 just having it brought up to me on like a flatbed truck from South Carolina. Wow. And then I spent maybe two years storing it in different places. And then um, I finally rented a garage in Jersey. I found a garage in Jersey and I started, uh, you know, poking at it. And I have no mechanical, at the time I had no mechanical um, expertise at all. But it's the type of thing where I think with, you know, just watching things on YouTube and reading, reading, uh, I've learned a lot. Well, you didn't make the assumption that you couldn't do it. Some of us are like, well, that's not something I can do, as opposed to this is interesting. I'm interested in it. Mm -hmm. Let me see what I can do. Let me learn this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's kind of like it's kind of like cooking, you know, where you're just like, I want (laughs) to learn how to make the, the, uh, you know, I want to learn how to make a quiche. You right. Know? So, so you learn everything about quiches and then you try it, you know, yeah, and you fail a couple of times yeah. and then you see, Oh, I see what I did wrong. By right. the way, no one died. Well, as long as you don't poison anybody or cook it in a way that people get sick, generally cooking failures are not major tragedies, right? <laughs> you just throw it out and start over. Exactly. Now you, I, I'm going to point out something because it, to some people, this may show you as having made a mistake, to me, I am so in awe of how you handled this. And I'm so proud that you're my friend as a result of this. So what happened was you, you had an issue with the creation of this car that I, I want you to talk about how what might seem like a mistake and how you were like, oh, okay. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? I do. I do. Okay, I mean, the thing, the thing is when you're, when you're, when you're starting something like this and you have no idea where to start, you're, you're going to just basically go online and you're going to, you're going to pattern what you do after other people. Sure. So that means you're like, okay, this guy did it exactly like this. I'm going to do the same thing because it's going to work. So I, I've done that a few times. And the last time I, I did it, um, I basically bought a, um, I, I read, read somewhere, Someone bought a pickup truck. They stripped it down to the chassis. They and they used that chassis for their classic car. Now, since you're buying a, an established car like a pickup truck, it already has kind of all the the things you need. It's got the brakes. It's got the steering. You know, you can put a, a, an engine on it. So I found a I found a pickup truck which would fit uh, my classic car, and I went and and found a guy on Craigslist who had the right truck who was the right size and everything. And I bought it from him and, it, and I drove it to my garage and then I proceeded to take it apart. And I spent close to a year taking it apart. 
And in the back of my mind, I was like, I really hope this works. Um, and I got to a point where I had, I had learned so much taking apart this truck. I was learning how a truck goes together, by the way, that, um, it's way more complicated than people think. I mean, it's, it's, it's just the idea of steering a two ton vehicle that has all of this momentum and you, you know, the laws of physics have, you know, to keep people from dying, you know, in this thing, it's, it's just incredible. And to keep, you know, certain parts can work for a day, but if they're not properly maintained or properly created, I just think of the term bushings. Like, like I don't know anything about bushings, but I know without them, you're screwed. So yeah. and, like, there's just so much to attract. Anyway, sorry, I just, yeah. I, I, I'm excited for you, please. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I bought this kit online, which would um, adapt this pickup truck chassis so I could sit my 47 on top of it. And I got, you know, I basically finished all the work. I basically was, you know, I was ready to, to move the body onto this thing. And, um, and then I decided I wanted to make the uh, car electric. And um, when I started, you know, it just seemed more interesting to me to, to, to build an electric car. So then I started, you know, getting out the measuring tape and measuring this chassis and seeing, okay, where would the batteries go? And, you know, this and that. And I found that the chassis wasn't going to work for what I needed to do. So I was like, oh, all right. I just spent a year on this. Now I'm going to change directions. Mm -hmm. So. I researched what I what I could do to to make this happen, and I and I now I'm going in a different direction. And um, the chassis is just sitting there, but it, it it is a reminder that this is still an art. You know, you still can start over. Yeah, it might be a little expensive. It might take up your time, but I will not go in that direction again because I know for me it doesn't work. And there are people who want to buy that thing because it it'll work for them. Right. So I love the way you said, though, that you learned a lot. Like, oh, yeah. And that people forget, you know, they may even, it may have nothing to do with a project. It may be a relationship. You know, I myself have been divorced and it was not a failure on anyone's part. And uh, I learned a lot. I'm not going to go into it in this interview. (laughs) We don't have time and I don't think we, either one of us wants to. But I mean, the point is that nothing is wasted. This notion that I screwed up, I wasted this time or whatever. I love that you quite clearly were like, oh, no, I mean, I just changed direction. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the direction I'm in now is that I'm taking parts of a, an electric car that, that you, can, you can find, a, a Nissan Leaf, which is a very popular car. And uh, I've, I started, you know, I started looking into how I could do this. And I found there's a guy in Sweden who made a little controller box, a little computer, which could talk to all the Nissan Leaf parts, like the motor and the battery and all this stuff. So I was like, okay. And, and a, a bunch of other people had used this box and, and been successful and posted videos and all this stuff. So mm-hmm. I bought the box. I found a uh, scrapyard uh, near me in the Bronx that would sell me the uh, Nissan Leaf motor, they actually sold me the whole front end of a Nissan Leaf, which is, it's the the wheels and the steering and the motor all, <laughs> all in one big 600 pound piece. 
Does it come with a handle or no, you probably have it doesn't, it. it doesn't come with, <laughs> well, actually it came with a guy delivered it and that was, interesting. Wow. And, and because I work basically alone, it's very interesting. I feel like I'm building the pyramids. Like it's like, I have to learn how to use leverage <laughs> and hoists and stuff. Yeah, sure. So you, do you uh, have it? Do you have like a series of pulleys? I have, I have, I have a hoist that I use. Wow. So it's just very, I, I, you know, a, a whole project could just be moving the thing from like five feet. I'm going to, I'm going to have to wrap this up. I'm sorry. Okay. So when do we expect to see you driving around in this? Is this probably, soon? I, honestly, uh, I think probably in a year. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm confident people who know you will see a lot of pictures on social media because you yeah. deserve to inundate us with them. And I will get in line to get a ride in that thing. I'm excited. For people who don't know, the 47 Chevy looks like one of Mr. Miyagi's cars from the original Karate Kid. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I took a, a look at some of those. Um, is there, I mean, there's so much we haven't talked about, Satya, but I only have a certain amount of time. Would you agree to come back another time and I would. talk I about stuff? I had, I had a lot of fun. That's great. Um, I, is there anything though, like if there was like, oh no, I just had to tell people this one thing. Is there a thing? That, um, um, check out my website. Um, that's great. What is it? Our, our, you know, the show that Eric and I are in is uh, that put together uh, is um, Doggy Style. There are three episodes. Um, all, all three episodes have won awards and been nominated. Um, the latest one won Best Cinematography. So you can uh, check that out. It's at doggystyleshow.com. Thank you. Again, it's not doggystyle.com. It's doggystyleshow.com. We want to be clear. We don't want people to call angry about what they ended up seeing. Um, Satya Vijayendran, I love you. We're good friends. I'm really glad. I think we spent more time today than we have in a while. And it, it's, it's been a while, yes. Um, please but. give my love to your dog and more importantly, your wife. And um, stay healthy, man. And Thank you. Uh, I hope to see you soon. Thanks so much for being on Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. It was a joy to be with you. Thank you. I always love talking to Safia. I'm glad you got a chance to hear his great voice and his great insights. And, uh, you know, People are so fascinating, and Safi is certainly no exception. An electric car, <laughs> a web series that has won numerous awards. I mean, just fantastic guy. So make sure you keep listening to these shows. Subscribe, because you never know who I'm going to have on next. Um, and you can get a look at any of the previous episodes on www.isthatreallylegal.com. They're all free. There's no paywall. Can you believe that? And uh, if you have trouble believing that, put an Abe's muffin in your mouth and you will believe. Okay. Um, we're going to continue to have great shows for you. And just keep listening. And make sure you get your shots. You wear your mask. Do yourself a favor. Buy books. Don't burn them and see how you could become politically involved in the next election, whatever it is. Uh, until that happens, stay well and keep listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.